turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. The Bay Area has a rich diversity of churches and ministries that serve the community in Jesus' name. And here at KFAX, we love to shine a spotlight onto the great things God is doing through the kingdom work of pastors and ministry leaders. We feature a sermon or presentation from that leader to get you better acquainted with churches who will welcome you to worship and ministry opportunities that invite your involvement. Hello and welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. Today we are very pleased to have Pastor Derek Meekins of Harvest Valley Church. That's at 3200 Hopyard Road in Pleasanton. Pastor Derek was born and raised in Fremont. He graduated from Fremont Christian High School in 1985 and then went on to study theology at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, where he met his wife, Karen. He continued his education and graduated from Bethany University in Scotts Valley with a B.A. in church leadership. He then served full-time as a children's pastor in both California and then Arizona. In 1999, Pastor Meekins accepted the senior pastor position at Sunset Community Church in Livermore and for the next seven years served that church. In 2008, he accepted the position as senior pastor of Harvest Valley Church, where where he is faithfully serving today. Along with his theology degree, Pastor Meekin studied law and has his MBA from the University of Phoenix. Pastor Derek and Kira are blessed with two sons. Find out more about Harvest Valley Church at their website, harvestvalley.org. And now the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday message with Pastor Derek Meekins. This is his sermon, Dignity Restored. This morning, I want to stir you up in that way. I want to talk about restoring dignity. Let's say that together. Restoring dignity. I want, I want to read a verse that many have read, and, and they read it partially, in my opinion, because this verse deals with two main subjects. Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all, say all, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of of God. Now I want to take a moment here because many of us we understand for all have sinned we need forgiveness. We understand that that was lost in sin. But we also have to look at the other side of it which is we also lost the glory of God. The glory of God, the word glory in this context means the word, it is the word in Greek doxa, which means the dignity of God. The dignity of God, the state of being found worthy or accepted. See, God created mankind to fill this sense of worth, not for pride's sake, but for confidence sake. Because before Adam and Eve fell, there was a level of confidence in the garden he needed them to walk in. And when sin came 
And when man fell, not only was there a loss of righteousness, but there was also a loss of dignity. Say dignity. We often focus on this aspect because what happens to us is we can be forgiven, but we cannot walk in the confidence that God has for us. I want us to look at Genesis chapter 3 for a moment. It says here in verse 7, Genesis 3, 7, Then the eyes of both of them, referring to Adam and Eve, were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Say naked. (laughs) And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, I want us to notice something here. And this is the most obvious part of this verse. In verse 7, they covered their nakedness with leaves. Now, scholars believe the fig leaves that were indigenous to that garden were the banyan fig leaves, which were huge. They were like a foot to two feet long. It was more than enough covering. And they had plenty of covering, we see. But in verse 10, when asked by God where they were, he said, Adam said, we hid from you. Let's look at that together. So he said, I heard your voice. Let's say this together. I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is where the story gets a little confusing. It's like he doesn't understand what nakedness is. Because in verse 7, what did they do? They cover themselves. But yet, in verse 10, he says, I hid myself because I was naked. It doesn't make sense. The most obvious thing in life is knowing that you're naked. Okay, one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to me, and I've shared this before, I'll share it again. When I was 12 years old, I went to the shower, and like many of you, you wash her, and, and then you look for a towel. How many are with me? You, you kind of have that. I, you don't get the towel ready first. You look for a towel after. So I washed myself, got out of the shower looking for a towel, no towel to be found, not even a little decorative towel. I was, it was out, zero. So from that point, I stealthily, And cautiously moved from room to room, naked, to the garage where the towels were. Are you guys getting this okay? Don't picture it too hard. but, but So I'm moving stealthily from room to room in my nakedness. I finally get to the garage where the dryer is, the washer and the dryer is. And usually the dry towels are in the dryer. So here I am, I go into the dryer. At the same time, little did I know, the reason we didn't have towels was the dryer was broke. And little did I know, at the same time, my mom invited the repairman into the house. This is not going to take a lot of imagination here. So here I am, 
I'm fishing into the dryer at the same time the repairman comes into the garage. So I'm like here, and there he is. Everyone say nakedness. It's amazing in this story, we see... Adam and Eve, they're, they're having a conflict of interest. They, they don't understand what's going on. Or we don't understand. They know what's going on, but we don't. Because we look at this as, well, well, this is obvious. Why do you say you're naked when you're not naked? But the reality is this, is they're not referring to a physical problem. They're referring to a spiritual problem. See, never before in their history did they understand what the separation was or what the separation felt like. They felt shame and they felt a lack of confidence, which equated to nakedness. Never known it, never known, known it before. And so here we see that Adam and Eve are articulating what they're feeling and they're saying we were naked and we hid ourselves. We, we, we lost our confidence in our relationship with you, God. We lost our, there was shame. Something happened. After man had sinned, God had his work cut out for him because he loved us. And so we know in scripture what he did. He first redeemed us to him by sending, we know this, by sending his only son, to the cross for our sins that his blood can redeem us back to him but there was another aspect the glory of God had to be redeemed the dignity of God had to be redeemed as well this part is difficult back when I was about 22 years old I worked at American Airlines in Dallas, Texas DFW airport and I just finished my training there and my, I, I worked the line so my job was I had to push back airplanes. So you guys have seen those through the windows where the guy's in the tug and there's this long pole with wheels on it and you're pushing back. The, that's, that's what I had to do. So it was about a week after my training and this is actually a picture of DFW airport. And so... <clears throat> What I had to do is I had to push the plane back between two planes. There was a 737 on one side, 727 on the other side, kind of like that, that cluster of planes right there. And I, was, I had to push that back in a straight line. And I'll never forget, I was anxious. I, was, I, I knew how to do it because I had done it 20, 30 times before, but that was all training. And now this was the real deal. And so I'm pushing this plane back, and as I'm pushing it back, it starts to veer a little to the right. And I'm getting close to the other wing of a 727, and, and one of my wingmen say, no, no, stop, stop, stop. So I stopped the tug. I got out of the tug. Look, I had like this much room left. And it was there where I lost my confidence. I got out of the tug. And I had my crew chief come in and he finished the job for me. And from that point on, I never moved another plane out. Not because I, didn't, I couldn't do it. 
And not because I was fired, I wasn't even reprimanded. My crew chief told me, he said, don't worry about it. It happens all the time. It was because I lost my confidence. I lost my trust in myself because I was this close to wrecking a $40 million plane. Say confidence. See, the moral of that story is this. You could be given grace, but that doesn't equate to confidence. Did you hear what I said? There's a lot of people that are given grace all the time. You live to be forgiven, but you don't walk in a new life. And so this is what I'm talking about here. Because God just doesn't want to restore us to himself, but he wants to restore our dignity as well. Although Adam and Eve were forgiven and given a second chance, they never fully regain the confidence they had in the garden because the law couldn't permit it. See, the law permitted that they had sacrifice, that they could be forgiven, but they couldn't move in that level of confidence and knowing who they were. And we see here through the story of the cross that God would not allow this to continue. He just doesn't want to forgive us. He wants to restore our dignity in him. 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen generation, the Bible says. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own what? Come on, his own special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You will not accomplish anything for God if you are content with just living to be forgiven. You have to also live to make a difference. And you can't live to make a difference until that confidence is restored. The best example I see is Queen Esther in the Bible. When her uncle uncovered the plot of the chief counsel that he was going to destroy all Israel, Mordecai, the uncle, came to Esther, who at the time was the queen, and said, listen, you need to do something about this. And Queen Esther basically told her her, her uncle, listen, I can't blow what I have. I've worked hard to get where I'm at. I, I can't do this. And it was there where Mordecai challenged her he said Esther are you are you crazy where do you think you are right now you're not in this place because you brought yourself in this place you're in this place because God brought you in this place you have a destiny that started in your mother's womb you just forgot about it see Mordecai was waking her up to the reality that she wasn't just a beauty queen She had a destiny on her life. She she was living like Cinderella, that at the strike of midnight, she would go back to her peasant girl mentality. But the reality was that God said, no, 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 you're greater than this. You're greater than this. You have a destiny on your life. Come on, that's a perfect intro. The devil loves, listen to this closely, the devil loves for you to give up your birthright. 
Just like Esau did for the sake of a meal, how easy we give it up because we make a mistake or because we fall or because things don't equate to what we think they should be. This is why I loathe the modern day gospel message that just says, say the magic words, Lord, forgive me, and, and then you're, you're good. And what this produces in the church is Christians that are rescued instead of sons and daughters of God. We have this little get out of jail free card and we keep it and we hold on to it every time we make a mistake. And and we know that we are forgiven. We live to be forgiven, but we forget to live. For God, there's a difference. That, that, that game Monopoly, how many love that game? I, uh, this classic. I, there's so many renditions and editions. And, I mean, there's like 50 editions now. And, but the principle is the same. And, and if you play to win by having a get-out-of-jail-free card and not... Uh, stopping on someone's property, you've already lost. How many know that's not the way to win Monopoly? Oh, I just hope I don't land on someone's property. Or I hope I get that get out of jail free card. The key to Monopoly is buying up as many properties as you can, as quick as you can, and then when you have the money to put as many houses on those properties. How many know, right? Now, 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 you may have a, a lucky soul playing with you that every time that person gets close to your properties, they always skip by. But how many know it's not always going to happen? Soon they will fall on those properties and that principle will hold true. In the same way, when we live our lives in this rescued mentality of just, okay, I'm just living to be forgiven because I can't get past what I'm in. What has happened is just like the game, eventually we're going to lose. Because as long as you keep on going back to the same thing that you ask the Lord to forgive you from and that's all you do and that's all that seems to uh, happen in your Christian existence, eventually you're going to lose your desire. It's going to be boring. Trust me, it will be boring. Because it's like, why? What is, what is the use of this? And many then become enslaved by the very thing that they thought they could get past. When we play Christian, we are just lucky to get through life. We live to be forgiven instead of live to make a difference. In the end, we run out. This is not how God designed us to be. Come on. This is not how God designed us to be. He designed us to be the salt of the earth, a city set on a hill. He designed us to subdue and pursue and to take over and to reach out. But we can't do any of that. Until dignity is restored. My freshman year, I made the varsity baseball team. 
And granted, it was a small school, but it was still an accomplishment. And when the coach told me that I made the baseball team because I was the only left-handed pitcher, uh, that kind of added salt to the wound. (laughs) I was like, oh, I thought I was special. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it was one of those things that I... I felt at that moment, I felt like I was, a, I was on the team, but I wasn't really a vital part of the team. How many know the difference? And for weeks and weeks, I played with this mentality until there was a, a pitching coach that was hired. And this guy was a former pro baseball player, a left-hander. And so I remember that day where he said, well, pitch for me. So I threw about 60 pitches. And at the end of my workout, he came to me and he said, man, you you got some good stuff here. With my work, you can be a very special pitcher. And from that point on, everything changed. I started not only pitching better, but the confidence returned. And I saw myself not only being on a team, but a vital part of a team. Do you see the difference here? He didn't just give me grace. Come on. Ooh. He restored dignity. He restored dignity in me. See, there's a lot of Christians out there that you understand grace, but dignity, the glory of God has not been restored. And God wants to settle this today. Would you say amen? Amen. I don't know who you've allowed to speak into your life, who you've allowed to define you. And many people we allow because of the nature of who they are to us. Mothers, fathers, it's their prerogative, right? It's the right to speak into our life. And or, or, or a spouse, a friend, the culture, even looking in a mirror defines you. But with all that, you need to understand that they see in part and they prophesy in part. Even the best hearted person doesn't understand the true story of who you are and who God has called you to be. And what happens is if we take our script from them and that's it, then what we start to, how we live is we live being on a team, but not really a part of the team. And it's only when we allow God to come in and our father, our heavenly father to come in and speak over our lives. Because he has the expertise. (laughs) He has the authority. He sees all and knows all. He's the only one that can restore dignity in you. This is why we celebrate baptism. I don't know if you've ever realized that, why we go through these waters. And, And this is why this is so special today. And this is why if you come here and you thought to yourself, you know what, that's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to watch. You may be a part of it after this. Because let me tell you something. God wants to restore dignity today. And this was his way. Water baptism was the way that God 
was going to restore dignity back to his kids. When John the Baptist baptized, he baptized out of repentance. It was the only way he could baptize because the letter of the law gave him the right to do that. But he couldn't go any further than that. He could only give man a temporary get out of jail free card. He could only soothe the soul long enough until the next mistake. And then you'd have to go back to the the rivers. That was John's baptism. The law kept him in that state. But when Jesus came, and when Jesus was baptized, he set a new paradigm, a new model, and he said, this is the way baptism will be treated from this point forward. It is to restore dignity. Because when he came through the waters of baptism, it wasn't for forgiveness sake. There was nothing to be forgiven. It was for dignity's sake. Because if you remember what the Lord spoke over, God spoke over Jesus when he went through the waters. This is my son in whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. Affirmations of dignity. These were the statements that set him up for everything in his public ministry. He wasn't there by accident. He wasn't there because his father was looking for a a point of testing and seeing if his son can do what he asked him to do. He was there because God the father wanted to make a statement over his son and said, I believe in you. I believe in you. And that's what water baptism is about. It's God saying, you are a new creature. All things are passed away. Not only are you forgiven, but you could walk as a new creature. Dignity is restored. And this is so powerful because God wants us to get it today. He wants to make this statement over all of our lives. I believe our conversion is cut short when all we get out of it is I'm just forgiven. That's only part of it. You're a new creature. Dignity is restored. No longer just a person that luckily met the Savior, but a person who is now a child of God. Oh, come on, church. We got to get this today. This is the Spirit of God here. This is why God God commanded us in Scripture to go through the waters of baptism. This is why he was so emphatic. And he said, listen, this is not just something that I say, listen, if you want to do, you can do. No, he's saying, God, you need it desperately. Because if you don't get that testimony in your spirit, you're going to live your life just being forgiven. Okay, Lord, forgive me, I've sinned. Okay, God, forgive me, I've sinned. Forgive me, I said, and, and yes, that's wonderful. And I, I thank God that he's, he's applied his blood every time I sin. But church, there's so much more. He wants to restore the confidence of who we are. Amen. 
who we are, who he destined us to be. You weren't just rescued. You were given a new life as a child of God. You didn't just make the team, you are a valuable member of it. If dignity isn't restored, then we can be forgiven but not have the confidence to walk in abundance. Did you hear what I said? If, if, if dignity isn't restored, then we will... We can be forgiven. We can walk in that grace of being forgiven. But we will not have the dignity to allow God's confidence to come through us. Hebrews 4.16 tells us come boldly before the throne of grace. When we don't know who we are, we're not going to ask God what he wants us to get to give us. Come on, you got to get... When you don't know who you are, you're not going to ask God what he wants to give you. It's just, it's just automatic. Because you don't know who you are. All you know is that, Lord, you've forgiven me, thank you. But there's so much more to the abundance of heaven for you than just being forgiven. Would you say amen to that? When we don't know who we are, we're not going to ask for our healing. When we don't know who we are, we're going to accept defeat instead of asking for a miracle. When we don't know who we are, we're going to get depressed and fearful instead of, God, I need your faith. I need faith right now. When we don't know who we are, we're going to tolerate and we're going to compromise instead of being bold. We give in to lies and we give up instead of being victorious. Today, if you find yourself living life just to be forgiven and never feeling victorious, then your dignity needs to be restored. The devil has lied to you. That that you just, this is what you get. Listen, I'll, I'll concede that you're forgiven, but... You don't, this is your lot in life. Just deal with your life the way it unfolds and that's it. And and if he could keep you in this state, then you have abandoned your birthright. And God is saying, no, 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 whoa, 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 wait. I created this incredible symbol of dignity for you. That you can... Establish a testimony that will not just be for those that watch you, but will be for you. That when the enemy comes to you and says, hey, you're just, you're just on the team, but you're really not a vital part of the team. You really don't have purpose. You don't have destiny. What is your life? When, when, when you get hit like that, and how many know it's going to happen? It, it happens all the time. When you get hit like that, you can say, whoa, 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 wait a second here. I just am not forgiven. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I have my dignity restored. Christ in me is the hope of glory. He's restored it. 
See, there is anointing in water baptism. There's an anointing. It just doesn't go, it just doesn't stop at being dunked. There's an anointing that comes on you and after you walk out of the waters. Jesus was led into the wilderness. He, he overcame the devil. From that point, he, he moved in signs and wonders. There was an anointing on his life. Listen to this very closely. Revelations, Revelations 12, 11. They overcame the devil by what? The blood of the lamb, which is forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. It says by the word of their testimony, they knew who they were. Listen, you're not going to overcome anything if you don't know who you are. And this is why God is doing it. This is why God wants us to make this moment so special. And they love not their lives even to death. When you know who you are, you can care less what other people think. You've been listening to Pastor Derek Meekins of Harvest Valley Church on the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. Find out more about today's speaker at their website, harvestvalley.org. Or at our website, kfax.com, where you can also find links to podcasts of this program. I'm Mike Matthews. Join us here again next week for the Ministry of the Week Sunday message on AM 1100 KFAX.